Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. On uh, uh, November the 26th, last year, I started this series entitled Things, Things Most Surely Believed Among Us. And uh, I ministered on that Sunday after Thanksgiving. And then uh, a couple of Sundays in December, I followed up with that. And then, you know, the holidays come and you have special things going on and different messages. And then the first of the year. And then uh, uh, we had Christopher Allen and I didn't get back to it. I want to get back uh, to this topic. And the first thing that is most surely believed among us and, and topic is uh, has to do with the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and speaking in other tongues. You know, uh, the Lord spoke uh, th- uh, and gave me a word of wisdom back in 2013 that America will have another visitation from God. The, a visitation of God is coming to America. And uh, in the past, America has been shaped by visitations of God. And... Uh, uh, oh, great awakenings. You're familiar with the great awakening that happened in the 1700s and again in the 1800s. And uh, it really did shape our, our nation, the founding of our nation, the founding principles, uh, the, the founding documents and the authors of those doctor, documents. They were directly influenced by the revival, that first great awakening. And, uh, and then, like I said, in the, in the uh, 1800s, it was a second great awakening. And uh, it, it has shaped our consciousness as a nation and our culture as a nation. Then in uh, the turn of the century, in the turn of this 20th century, in, uh, actually in December the 31st of 1900, it was a group of people praying in a, in a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas. And, uh, and that night in a watch night service, you know, they were praying in the new year. That night someone was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And news of this spread around and uh, uh, the leader of that Bible school eventually left and started to school in another place and, and, the, and this uh, uh, experience began to, to, to spread. And we're all aware that in 1906, the great revival in Los Angeles called the Azusa Street Revival, the Azusa Street was a, a street in Los Angeles and there was a little mission there. And in this small, humble built building, uh, uh, was birth the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit since the day of Pentecost. And uh, people were filled with the Holy Spirit and this revival lasted for several years. They had services every day I mean, Monday through, you know, Saturday or Sunday. I mean, just uh, 20, you know, seven days a week is what I'm trying to say. On and on. For several years, they had meetings. Just a tremendous revival. And the experience of, of Pentecost, the Pentecostal experience spread from that revival literally all over the world. All of the denominations that are in the world today, the uh, Pentecostal, classical Pentecostal denominations, uh, can trace their genesis back, uh, at least in part, to what happened there. And, uh, and so that was a, a great revival. And then in the mid-1900s, in the mid-20th century, there was the great charismatic revival, the charismatic renewal, it was called. And this was also a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, when, when God brought revivals to America, the, the beginning revivals were not so much Pentecostal. Though there were some manifestations of the Spirit in these revivals, but they were not overtly Pentecostal. The, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, divine healing, supernatural deliverance, those kinds of things were really not uh, part or featured in those early revivals. But at the turn of the century, in the 20th century, when uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out and, and uh, uh, God brought a revival of the Holy Spirit. And it was a great salvation revival, but in addition to that, it had to do with the outpouring of the Spirit and the, and the experience, the things that are associated with being filled with the Spirit. And then again, like I said, the charismatic revival had to do with the Holy Spirit. And in the charismatic re- revival, the 
uh, experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues and all of the other gifts of the Spirit and all of the, the healing uh, ministries and all of those things was, those things were definitely uh, central to the charismatic revival. And what happened in, in that revival is the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit jumped out of the Pentecostal churches and, and, and landed in all of the other non-Pentecostal denominations in America. And, it, and indeed, it spread around the world. Now, when the Lord gave us this word of wisdom in 2013 about the coming visitation, there's coming a visitation, an awakening to America. One thing that Lord said was this will not just be another revival, another awakening of salvation, though it will be that. There will be, if I remember my, the, the wording right, there will be a turning to the Lord, not just in salvation, but a turning to the Holy Spirit. God doesn't go, God doesn't digress or regress. Any subsequent manifestations or, or revivals or, or uh, awakenings and that sort of thing. God doesn't go back and leave out things that, that he has brought us to. The next revival, the, 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 this great visitation that's coming to America will be a visitation and an awakening that will turn people to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. All of the manifestations and demonstrations of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, and then all of the other ministries that are associated with that, uh, miraculous healings and, and so forth, all of these things will be a part of this great uh, revival that's coming. Because again, God always builds, he never subtracts. Now, having said that, I, I also said that our churches, we would see tremendous growth in churches that honor the Holy Spirit, that reverence the move of God. Uh, and, and that churches that have seen attendance dwindle, the attendance will return. And there will be a, 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 a great growth in churches that are faithful to the word and the spirit. This will also be a revival of the word of God. In other words, again, anything that God does, he always adds to. And so in the 70s and 80s, there was the great word of faith movement, which was an emphasis on the integrity and the teaching of God's word. And, uh, and, this, and this revival that's coming will be word and spirit. But I think we need to be aware that every revival that has ever come to America or anywhere else has been fiercely fought by the enemy. The devil doesn't just lay down and roll over and let God move in a nation without opposition, without opposing that. And in uh, the days, <coughs> excuse me, in the early days of American history, the great awakenings that came, there were always scoffers. There were always people that wrote uh, news articles and magazine articles and, and, and attacked uh, what God was doing. It was true in the days of the Pentecostal outpouring in, at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, there was tremendous opposition, tremendous uh, uh, ridicule, mocking that went on on a national scene, on a national level. So, and, and the same thing was true when the charismatic renewal came. Churches that are not in the flow will fight the flow. Because people will begin to leave churches that are empty and have no power and aren't providing answers and supernatural uh, ministry to people to, to set them free and to really meet their needs, people will leave those churches and those churches will fight to defend themselves and fight to protect what they have. So we need to be, we need to be prepared for that. We need, to, you know, we need to be excited about what God's going to do, but we need not be uh, foolish into thinking that uh, it's just going to be a walk in the park. Amen. There, there will be opposition and we will have to stand. God will honor us. And in spite of opposition, we will see the fruits of revival. Yeah. Glory to God. But I'm saying that to say this, we will have to be armed with the truth because the truth will be challenged on every hand. 
then gainsayers and the naysayers will attack every aspect of doctrine that they don't agree with because they'll be threatened. And so this is why the Holy Spirit is having me teach on these things. It's because uh, we need to know the foundation uh, so that we can be prepared to take our stand. And then, of course, you know, we have newer people in the church that haven't heard uh, in-depth teaching on the Holy Spirit and, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so I'm teaching for those reasons. And even today, before this revival really uh, explodes, if you want to say that, and before it really reaches its zenith, you know, in its, in its maximum potential, uh, in the early days of this that we believe we're in right now, uh, even so, there is a lot of opposition. The enemy is always opposing. Amen. And so when I talked about this, I talked about the fact that concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues, this, ex this experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit in the classical Pentecostal sense, speaking with other tongues is under attack now. And it will, that the opposition will grow worse and so we need to be better informed, more informed, quicker to answer. Not argue, but to give a solid biblical answer. And I pointed out the fact that there are uh, two basic camps, if you want to call it that, or two basic uh, uh, groups in the body of Christ when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit there are the cessationists and those are the people who believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking with other tongues all of the things having to do with the, with the supernatural life healings and miracles and all, all of that all of that has ceased and then there are the, the others in the body of Christ, growing numbers, large numbers. And uh, to kind of take a little aside here, uh, we found out that in the world, charismatic and Pentecostal Christians together, if you take the classical Pentecostal denominations and then the charismatic groups that would include uh, non-denominational and word of faith, people that believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit but are not from the original classical uh, denominations, Pentecostal denominations. If you take these two groups together who have this in common, that we believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit like Acts 2, speaking with other tongues, this body worldwide is the second largest group in the Christian world, in the church world. The first largest group is the Catholic Church, no surprise. But second to the Catholic Church, greater than the, you know, we used to say that the Southern Baptists, they're more Baptists than our people in the South. I mean, you know, just, you know, it just seems that everybody's Baptist. But worldwide, there are more Pentecostal or spirit-filled people who identify with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are more people than any other group, Baptist, Methodist, any other group, second only to, to the, the Roman Catholic Church. So we are not in a minority. So we, we are, those of us who believe this way, we are, instead of being cessationists, we are continuationists. And, and I don't know that that word will show up in the dictionary, but, but I've just coined it. Uh, we, we, I think I've actually read the word, somebody else coined it, but we are, we believe that we believe in the continuing outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the continuing, uh, uh, experience of speaking with other tongues and, and the gifts of the spirit. In other words, we believe these things did not cease, but they continued. Amen. And, uh, along these lines, you know, I, I, I pointed out some core cessationist doctrinal positions and, and offered uh, a rebuttal of those things. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to list them, but I'm not gonna give the scriptures or go into detail because I, I wanna move on. Uh, the first you know, thing that we brought up that cessationists believe, they say, well, tongues is of the devil. Our tongues are, that's the more extreme version. Not too many people hold to that because it's so ridiculously unscriptural. But um, tongues is of the devil. The other people believe that tongues, well, they're foolish, they're ignorant, they're fanatical, they're uh, just, it's just a static gibberish that doesn't mean anything. It's just a, a learned uh, uh, experience and you know, kind of a psychological phenomenon. Well, we pointed out that none other than Jesus prescribed speaking in tongues for the entire church age. 
So it would be hard to make the, the, the stand that it's of the devil since Jesus uh, prescribed it. Amen. Uh, it's an important fulfillment of prophecy for the last days. We give scripture for that. You say, well, I don't have the scriptures. Well, it's the, those messages are online. Get them. You ought to be here and, and be taking notes when this is going on. Amen. Uh, uh, it, it was the number three, it was the normal common practice of the entire early church. In other words, the apostles and, and the believers of the first century, this was the normal common practice in the, in the, what we call the early church. People were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. Uh, in the New Testament is it, it always had a positive beneficial effect on those who experienced it. And we brought out, you know, the different books in the New Testament that spoke about this in a positive way. Uh, there are many spiritual benefits to speaking with tongues. And we didn't go into those spiritual benefits because that's another message all to its own. Uh, Kenneth Hagin has a book, you know, in the, in the uh, bookstore on uh, 10 reasons why I think every believer should speak with other tongues. When I've taught on it, I think I had something like 26 reasons. Uh, so uh, uh, there's too many to mention here. Uh, we pointed out that it's every believer's privilege to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but it is more than a privilege. It is incumbent upon every believer to be baptized with the Spirit and to speak with other tongues. We pointed out by the Scriptures that it is not an unnecessary option. It's not something you can just take or leave, though a lot of people seem to have that opinion of it. God does not. Amen. Another argument, those were the first two we rebutted, and then another uh, uh, doctrine or position they hold is that, well, Jesus never spoke in tongues, so it's not important. Well, Jesus never baptized anybody in water either. <laughs> but he commissioned the church to do that. Isn't that right? He prescribed water baptism. Jesus never went to the nations and preached the gospel. He told us to go. So just because Jesus never did it is, is not a reasonable argument. There are reasons why Jesus uh, uh, never spoke with tongues, and that is that tongues and interpretation of tongues are two gifts of the Spirit that are distinctive of the church age, and the church age had, age had not begun when Jesus was here in the flesh. But Jesus prescribed speaking in tongues for the entire church age. Then we pointed out this argument, that, uh, and we rebutted this. It says that tongues have ceased. And of course, there's one passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we won't read tonight, but there's one passage and one passage only that this idea is taken from. There's not any other passage of scripture in the Bible that even suggests such a thing. And in fact, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12 itself does not suggest that tongues have ceased in this age. But people use that, and we explained uh, all about that, and we won't do that tonight. Uh, now, tonight I want to talk about what uh, I, I, uh, is going on among what I call third waivers. There, this is an expression or a term that I have found just looking, you know, in, in uh, popular magazines, Christian magazines, and so forth. There are people today that associate themselves, purport themselves to be a part of the Pentecostal charismatic tradition, only they, they don't identify with the Pentecostals. And they don't, you know, and charismatics back in the 60s and 70s, charismatics didn't identify with the Pentecostals either because their Pentecostalism that developed from the turn of the 20th century that, that uh, uh, developed into these Pentecostal denominations, they developed their own traditions and culture and charismatics came from all of the mainline churches and they didn't dress like, look like, you know, talk like Pentecostals. They had a different culture. And uh, so they didn't really identify with Pentecostals. They didn't even like to be called Pentecostals. They like to be called charismatics. Uh, well, the third waivers, they don't like to be called Pentecostals or charismatics. They call themselves third waivers. And uh, you say, well, what, are, what, are the, what does third wave mean? What does it refer to? Well, the first wave being Pentecostal outpouring in the, in the turn of the 20th century. The second wave was the charismatic outpouring in mid 20th century. And then what they call the third wave today. Here's some problems though. And there's, and, and, and I'm, I'm all, uh, open to a fresh move of God. And I, I believe when this revival, uh, hits its, its stride that it will have its own identity. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with anybody calling it whatever they want to call it. Uh, I'm like Lester Summerall. You know, he, he said, and, and um, uh, it was said of him, and he said this himself. He said, every move of God, and he lived for and ministered for a period of about 60 years. He said, I got in on all of it. Anything God was doing, I got in on that wave. And I think that's what we need to do. We don't need to be tied to our charismatic uh, uh, history. We need to get on whatever God's doing. Yeah. 
Amen. It's so the, the next wave of the Holy Spirit, the next revival of the Holy Spirit, whatever it's called, whatever it looks like, we need to go with it. But the, 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 the danger I see, it's not, I'm not opposed, but the danger I see in what I'm reading among uh, about uh, third waivers is that they have two doctrines that are emerging in this camp that uh, are very troubling and are counterintuitive. They don't, they're, they're counterproductive. They, they go against the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the first belief that is uh, uh, among some third waivers is that when one is born again, he is also baptized with the Holy Spirit at that time. In other words, all who are born again are also baptized with the Holy Spirit, that the experience is one and the same. Well, that's not a new doctrine. I said, that's not a new doctrine. That is a classical doctrine that is uh, expounded in many non-Pentecostal groups today. And uh, so, so I'll, I'll go back and answer these two things. But there's, there's this that I just mentioned. They believe that some of them believe when one is born again, he's also baptized with the Holy Spirit, and it's all one and the same. A second uh, thing that some of them, just some of them believe, and that is that speaking in tongues is not for everyone. They believe in speaking with tongues, okay, but it's not for everyone. Well, again, this is not a new doctrine. This is a doctrine that has been around a long time among non-Pentecostal people. I noticed this. Every person I've ever met, and I've met a lot, and I've talked to a lot of people, this was a very strong uh, uh, idea in the 1970s, when I got back in fellowship with the Lord, 1972, started going to church in early 1973 and was filled with the Spirit, uh, the charismatic uh, renewal was going. And uh, I talked with a lot of people that I worked with, you know, co-workers and all that were from the mainline denominations. And, and I heard this argument, oh, you know, we believe in that tongues are valid. We see it in the scriptures. We just don't believe it's for everyone. I noticed this. I never talked to anyone, one-on-one, -on -one, who believed that tongues are valid, they're just not for everyone. I never spoke to one of those who believed tongues was for them. The people who believe, well, it's valid, it's for some people, but it's not for everybody. Every person that held that, they were one of the ones that it wasn't for. That's, that's just an excuse, amen, to... Uh, to deny the validity of something that you see right there in the scriptures that you can't deny the validity of, but you don't want to get in on it. And you say, well, I see it for some people, but it's not for everybody. Well, it, it is reported, and I've read that among this, and I'm not, there's nobody identified with this, so you don't know who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about any uh, particular group of people or denomination or church or specific person. But in this movement, these two doctrinal compromises uh, jeopardizes the legitimacy of the third wave. How in the world can a movement be called the third wave, the first being the great Pentecostal outpouring, which was full of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where the doctrine of the initial evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost is speaking with other tongues. That doctrine emerged from Pentecost. How can, how can you claim to be the third manifestation of this movement that was all about speaking with other tongues and the second wave was all about speaking with tongues and you're the third wave but you don't believe any of those I say that's a no wave and, and, I, and I'm not saying that to be critical because again there's really not anybody you can identify in your minds that, that's even associated with that this is something I'm just reading about we need to be careful that in this new move of God, this, this final outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that we stand strong for biblical truth. That we don't compromise because even in, think about this, even in this movement now that is identifying itself as the third wave of the Spirit, in that movement are the seeds to undercut the validity of the very experience that it's supposed to be representing. You see that? Amen. So this is important to us. Amen. Now, number one, 
They believe that when a person is born again, he's also baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, all who are born of the Spirit are also baptized with the Spirit. Now, they have two proof texts. And let's go to the first one, and this is in 1 Corinthians 12. You see, if you'll know these things, if you will allow yourself to uh, take notes and go home and study these things and go over them until you know them, not just something you hear in church and say, yeah, I believe that, Pastor, amen, glory to God. But then three weeks from now, when somebody on the job asks you a question, you can't remember any scriptures. Are you listening to me? No, we, we need to be, we need to contend for the faith. Amen. The only way you can do that is with the, is with the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 12 and 13. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So here they use the scripture and it says that by one spirit we were all baptized. That would mean every believer, all Christians. And so they say that, that uh, this is something that is true for every believer. If you're born again, you were baptized uh, into the body of Christ and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The other, and we'll come back to this, hold your place, but turn over to Ephesians chapter uh, four, Ephesians four, and look at verse number five. We'll just take verse five out of its, out of its context and just read it by itself. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We'll read number, verse number six. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And they say, we'll see here, there's only one baptism. And that's when you get born again, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The, the, what, what these people, these are their two proof texts. But the problem is there is a misunderstanding between the baptism into Christ and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They are not the same thing. These two verses, Ephesians 4, 5, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 have to do with our baptism into Christ. When you were born again, you were baptized into Christ. You were made a part of Christ. You were joined to Christ. One is a baptism of the Spirit. They were baptized, notice what it says, you were all, by one spirit, you were baptized into one body. This is a baptism of the spirit into the body of Christ. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a baptism of the spirit. It's a baptism with the spirit. The baptism into Christ, notice the Holy Spirit does the baptizing. Have you seen this? For by one spirit, we were all baptized or placed in or immersed into one body, the body of Christ. Who's doing the baptizing? This is not a hard question. Can, are you looking at your Bible? Look at me like, I don't know. Look at the scripture. Who's doing the baptizing? Come on now. About three people know this. The spirit. By one spirit. You were all baptized into one body. Who's doing the baptizing? The Spirit. The Spirit's baptizing you into the body of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who baptizes or places us into Christ, joining us to Christ. The Spirit comes to live in us as the Spirit of Christ at salvation. He baptizes us into Christ. He comes to live in us as the Spirit of Christ and to be our teacher and our guide. Well, if you go to Ephesians 4, where it says in verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. If you go back in, in verse number 4, you see there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is the baptism into the body of Christ. This is salvation. 
Now, they, they say, well, there's only one baptism. Well, hold your place there and go to Hebrews and look at the sixth chapter of Hebrews. Verse number one says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms. Is that singular or plural? Plural. The doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. The doctrine of baptisms tells us that there is more than one baptism. So when it says in Ephesians 4, there is one baptism, it can only be talking about one of several kinds of baptism because there are baptisms. There's the baptism into Christ. There is also the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which results in speaking with other tongues. The Bible even talks about a baptism of suffering. That always excites people. You know, Jesus told his disciples, they, he, he asked them, he said, uh, are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And they said, oh yeah, we're able. He said, well, you will be. You will be baptized with the same baptism I'm baptized. And, and all of those original apostles gave their lives for their testimony. They were baptized into a baptism of sufferings. So there's obvious that there are different baptisms spoken of in the New Testament. And so to take uh, Ephesians 4 and say that that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit is erroneous. In the baptism into Christ, like I said, it's the Holy Spirit who does the baptizing. Now go with me to Mark chapter, or, or, uh, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And let's look at verse number 11. Matthew 3, 11. Jesus had come to the Jordan River to be baptized. And, and you know, John the Baptist was there baptizing people. And they came to him and he said in verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. That's another kind of baptism. So there's four right there. I indeed baptize you with, a, uh, with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, these words of Jesus are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's not too many of the sayings of Jesus that are found in all four Gospels. There are a lot of them that are found in three. We call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic Gospels because they're very similar. And, uh, uh, and many things that are recording in, in, in one are recorded in either one or, other, or, or the other or the other two. John kind of stands by itself. There's a lot of stuff recorded in John that you don't find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you've noticed that. But these words of John the Baptist are found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and every time it's worded exactly like this. There is one coming after me. He, that's Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Notice the baptism in, uh, into Christ the Spirit baptizes the believer into Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus does the baptizing. And he doesn't baptize us into the Spirit. He baptizes us with the Spirit. Are you following me? There, that's, that, that, that's not just semantics. That's not just, uh, you know, uh, picking uh, words and, 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 and focusing on something that's not important. That's very important. It's, it's a big distinction. Jesus is the one who baptizes the believer with the Holy Spirit. And uh, go over, like I said, this is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's also in the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 1. If I quiz you on this next week, are you going to know all this? Amen. Should. Being assembled together, verse number four, with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. 
Jesus is speaking. He said, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And uh, he said in verse number eight, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, it's, it's very clear that what he was talking about occurred in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. Now, when Peter stood up, you know, there was a crowd of people in Jerusalem. They had come for the feast of Pentecost. And when they heard all these people speaking with other tongues, it caused a great stir among the population of Jerusalem. And they all came together to see what in the world was going on. And Peter got up and preached the very first sermon in the Christian era. And one of the things he said is in verse number 33. This is in the first sermon preached in the, in the Christian era. He says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, who would that be? Jesus. You guys are very quiet tonight. Are you afraid to answer out? And these are not trick questions. Being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is an, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a pouring out or an outpouring of the Spirit and Jesus is the facilitator. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who facilitates this experience. When you come to the Lord to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it is the Lord Jesus himself who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't do the baptizing. The baptism that the Holy Spirit does is baptizing you into Christ when you got saved. Then Jesus comes along and baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. And that is also called being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's called the Holy Spirit coming upon you. It's called the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so that's a, that's a big distinction. So the two experiences are not the same. And because people have confused these two experiences and these two baptisms, not understanding it, they've looked at a couple of scriptures and said, well, uh, we've all, we're all baptized you know, uh, in the body of Christ, so everybody who's saved is filled with the Spirit. No, that's not. They're two different things. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate experience from being saved and being baptized into Christ by the Spirit. Amen? Then there's this other idea, and we'll, we'll finish up with this tonight, and it is that speaking with tongues is not for everyone. Like I said, uh, the man that I used to work with, you know, I, I, when I first got back in the fellowship with the Lord, uh, a couple of years after that, I got transferred on the job on the company I was with into another division and uh, in that in the first division with the phone company I worked with a lot of men in big telephone offices you know the big tall 12-story building in Jacksonville with all the switch gear and that's where I worked I worked in there and occasionally I worked out in some of the outlying telephone offices around town uh, but then after a couple of years I was transferred into this other division and we did uh, what was called private private branch exchanges, PBXs, where we went into business and installed uh, telephone systems. So we worked with very small crews and usually I worked with one other person. Sometimes I had two people working with me, never more than two. Most of the time I worked with one other man and, uh, and I was in training under this one man and eventually uh, I took the lead and he went on to do something else and, and I had usually one man that worked with me and he was under me, I was in charge of the job and uh, so we, we worked real closely with one another. You'd work, you know, 40 hours a week, sometimes one week, sometimes two weeks on a job. That's how long it took to install one of these larger jobs was usually two weeks. Occasionally, if it was like a big hospital uh, or the Delta uh, uh, Reservation Center up in the 26th floor, you know, the Gulf Tower, you know, you'd, you work there all the time, you know. But most of the time, these jobs were very small. And so I worked with these men one-on-one. -on -one, and this one particular brother, we became very close. He was a good Christian man. He was a Baptist and a very fine, upstanding Christian man. We had wonderful fellowship, great discussions with the scriptures. And he, he, could, he could understand that speaking with other tongues was not of the devil. Now, he said he was brought up to believe it was. 
He told me, he said, Edwin, you don't understand the strong uh, prejudice that is inbred in us in our denomination against speaking with other tongues. He said his mother told him when he was just a little boy, they would drive by a Pentecostal church and his mother would, would tell him, he, she would point to that church and she would say, see that church over there? She said, those Pentecostal people are crazy. She said, they are fanatics. And she said, here's what goes on, on their, in their services every Sunday. She said, every Sunday morning they meet together and they get down and they roll around on the floor and they, and they run and they roll around on the floor and just shout and dance around and work themselves up into a frenzy. And they do this until mid-afternoon and the fire department has to come and hose them all down. <laughs> now, as he grew up and got, got, you know, as he was older, he knew, well, that's not exactly what's going on. But he said, you just don't understand being told that as a child you develop a very strong prejudice and fear and rejection of anything having to do with Pentecostals. He said, my mother told me this and she never told me that wasn't true. And he said, so you have to, you have to take that, Edwin, and understand that it's very difficult for, for somebody like me to, to embrace some of these things. But he came to understand because of our lengthy discussions, he could see that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there was an experience subsequent to salvation called being baptized with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit and that speaking with tongues was, was a part of that and he could acknowledge that but he believed, well, I believe it's for some people. It wasn't for him because he didn't want to get hosed down. <laughs> yeah. there, there's, there's, a, there's a certain amount of, 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 uh, of reproach, you see, that's associated with that in people's minds when they've been taught that. And so uh, he said that, uh, and he believed that, that, that some people speak with other tongues, but it's not for everybody. Now, there's one proof text for that. And again, it's taken out of context. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 12 again. 1 Corinthians 12. Praise the Lord. You everybody out there? You awake and you doing well? Prospering and blessed? Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Verse number 29, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 29, are all apostles? Well, the implied answer here is no because it's obvious that not everybody's an apostle. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Hardly. Are all teachers? Unlikely. Isn't that right? No, the answer is no to all these. Are, do all interpret? Excuse me, I skipped a, a verse. Are all, are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But desire earnestly the best gifts, and, I, and yet I will show, to you, uh, show you a more excellent way. And so this brethren and, and, and the third waivers among them who have taken this uh, position, they have taken the bait of the unbelieving church world that denies the validity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking with other tongues and they've latched onto this verse. And so I'm, I'm saying this so that uh, if you meet people who, who uh, they, you can tell they want to go with the move of the Holy Spirit in this new generation and they want to be a part on the cutting edge, in the cutting edge and, and of what God's doing. They really want to be a part but they've bought into some of these things, you will, you will be able to help them to see that they're really falling, falling to the same uh, false impressions and false interpretations of previous generations. And this is not consistent with the, with the move of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, God never goes back. He always goes forward. This, this outpouring of the Spirit and this new and uh, final, what we believe to, will be the final uh, revival and awakening in America, it's going to have everything that went before. It'll have uh, salvation, holiness. We need that, don't we? Holy living, a return to 
righteous living, righteous holy conduct. It'll have a genuine uh, experience of salvation, not just walking down and, and, and reciting something with no change of heart, but a genuine experiences of new births in people. It'll have that. It will have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking other tongues. It'll, it will in, involve the, uh, the, the teaching of faith and the understanding of how faith works and our authority in Christ, who we are in Christ. All of these things will be a part because God always gathers up everything that he's done in the past and then brings that and adds something new and fresh. Amen? So we have to, we have to be prepared to, to help people. So speaking in tongues, it says, is, is according to these verses, not all people speak with tongues. Well, uh, you have to go back and, and, and understand a little bit more about this passage. You can't, just, you can't just read those verses by themselves in isolation to the chapters they find themselves in. If you look at, a lot of times you're reading through the New Testament and the, the, the New Testament is, the books of the New Testament are divided into chapter and verse. And they weren't written in chapter and verse. These epistles were written, just handwritten letters, just like someone would write to someone, but they were doctrinal statements. And they weren't written in, in chapter and verse. Somewhere, and I, I, I only think about this when I'm up preaching. I sometimes already study and find out when this was done, but I honestly don't know. Uh, somebody could look it up for me, so I'm not ignorant the next time I get up here. But uh, at some point in church history, someone took the New Testament and divided in, in the Old Testament as well and divided it into chapter and verse. A lot of times you read through the, the epistles and there's a, there's a thought, you know, a, a chain of thought going on and then it's the end of the chapter. And then a new chapter starts. You think, why in the world did they, did they start? I have no idea sometimes why chapters open and, and close and even why verses, uh, statements right in mid-sentence. One part of the sentence will be verse 13 and the next part of the sentence will be verse 14 and you don't understand why. But it's interesting that if you, if you I like to read the Bible, I like to meditate in the scriptures and just feed on a passage and I do that regularly. I also like to go back and read the Bible kind of comprehensively, take back up and take the big view and just read you know, several chapters at a time, maybe half of a, of a large epistle and, and kind of get the theme. Where, what's he doing? What is he developing? What are the, what are the arguments that are being developed? And you'll, and you'll begin to see there are some natural pivotal points in these epistles where, where the, by the Holy Spirit, the author, the apostle Paul or one of the others, he began to change direction and take a new topic, another idea and begin to develop it. And, uh, and usually it, it doesn't coincide with the chapter divisions. However, in 1 Corinthians, there, there is, uh, in this part of it at least, uh, it, it, it does, uh, it is divided in such a way that helps us. If, you, if you're familiar with the 11th chapter and the previous verses, it's all about communion, the irregularities that were going on in, in the Lord's Supper and the observation of the Lord's Supper, the problems they were having, and he corrected those. And the chapter 12 is a good place for a new chapter to start. They got it right here. Chapter 12 begins a new topic. He, and again, in, in the latter part of verse chapter 11, he's talking about uh, them examining themselves con, uh, concerning their conduct of the Lord's Supper. And then in chapter 12, he says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, a new topic. And actually, chapter 12, 13, and 14 uh, should be read together. If you really want to get the context, you have to read chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 together because it has to do with the, the manifestations of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. The 15th chapter makes another pivotal point. He begins to talk about the resurrection. And so chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 uh, need to be taken together. In chapter 12, in verse one, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that word gifts is in italics in the King James Bible and that in other Bibles, that simply means that it was added by the translators. It's not there in the original. What is originally written was now concerning spirituals. And actually the, the article is there, now concerning the spirituals. That's the way this reads in the original Greek. Now concerning the spirituals. He's not talking about spiritual people. He's talking about things pertaining to the Holy Spirit. 
things of the Holy Spirit and pertaining to the Holy Spirit, he said, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, in uh, uh, verses number four, five, and six, there is a very natural outline to chapters 12, 13, and 14. And it's, it's very clearly outlined. And he says, and there's three parts to these three chapters. There, there, part of this is talking about gifts. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Then there are diversities or differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, literally that says workings, but it is the same God who works all in all. So in chapters 12, 13, and 14, three things are being, are being discussed. Number one, gifts of the Spirit. Number two, ministries of the Spirit. Number three, the workings of the Spirit. Now, in, in verse number seven, uh, he begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. The manifest, we, they're also called the manifestations of the Spirit. And he lists these nine manifestations of the Spirit. And so in verse 7 through 11, he, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. That's the first thing that shows up in this natural uh, uh, outline of these three chapters. Now, uh, skip verses 12 through verse 26, and, and I'll show you why we skip this and, and, and how it fits in in a few minutes. Skip verses 12 through 26. In verse number 27... Uh, uh, in verse 20, excuse me, 12 through 27. Then in verse 28, he picks up the second division that was listed in uh, verse number five, I believe. There are differences of ministries. Now in verse 27, or verse 28, excuse me, he starts talking about these ministries. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, prophets, so those are ministries, right? Now he continues to talk about ministries down through verse 30. That's verse 28 through 30. Now, in verse uh, 31, he mentions the gifts of the Spirit again. And then uh, you have to skip chapter 13 and go to chapter 14. Chapter 14 begins this final uh, outline section of these three chapters. And remember in verse number 12, verse number 6, it says there are diversities of workings. Chapter 14 start talking, starts talking about the workings of the Spirit. So he starts talking about how the Spirit works, how the gifts of the Spirit operate, how they're regulated in the church. It's all about the operations or the workings of the Spirit. So, well, what in the world, what about chapter 12, verse number 12 through verse number 26, and what about the 13th chapter? wonderfully and beautifully interspersed between this teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, the ministries of the Spirit, and the workings of the Spirit, interspersed beautifully and, and situated right here in the middle of this are two wonderful passages, one on the unity of the body and the other one on the love that permeates the body. Because you see, without unity and love, neither ministries, neither gifts, ministries or operations or workings of the Spirit will be like they should be without unity and love. So God put this, uh, inserted these two great passages, 12, 12 through 1226 and, and chapter 13 in the middle of this to keep us balanced when we, when we begin to study on the gifts and the ministries and the workings of the Spirit. Are you seeing that? Okay, so you see there's a perfect outline in, in chapter 12, verse 4, 5, and 6. So in, in verses number 28, chapter 12, verse 28 through 30, he's not talking about gifts of the Spirit. He's, he's left off talking about gifts. He stopped talking about gifts and started talking about the unity of the body. Then he came back and picked up the second theme, which is the, the ministries of the Spirit. So in verses 27, he's, in verse 28, he says, now that God has appointed these, you could say these ministries in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Are all, do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? 
this reference to speaking with tongues in this passage has to do with a ministry of tongues. And, and this is something that the, the average spirit-filled Christian does not have. Most spirit-filled Christians do not have a ministry of tongues or tongues with interpretation. There is, there, Brother Hagin used to say it like this. He said, all speaking with tongues in the New Testament, all tongues are in essence the same, but they're different in purpose and use. There are different purposes and uses for the, the gift of tongues. And when someone is baptized with the Holy Spirit, they speak with other tongues. That is one purpose and one use of tongues. That is not the, that is not the ministry of speaking with tongues. That doesn't have anything with, about that person ministering to anybody else. It's, we call it sometimes our prayer language. It has to do with an operation of the Spirit where we're filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives us utterance. We begin to speak with other tongue, tongues and it's primarily for our own personal prayer life and worship to God. It's a devotional gift. It's not ministry. So in, in, in verse number, uh, tw uh, in verse number uh, uh, 30, where it says, do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? And the answer is, of course, no. He's not talking about people being filled with the Spirit. He's not talking about the simple experience of being filled with the Spirit and the resulting speaking with tongues, speaking with tongues as a result of being filled with the Spirit. He's talking about a ministry. So these people have locked onto this verse like many have. This friend of mine, you know, way back in the 1970s, he would use this verse. He'd say, well, you know, it says in the Bible that not all will speak with tongues. And I'll be honest with you, at the time, I couldn't answer him. I knew that that wasn't right, but I couldn't answer. You know, there are some things about the, the things of the Spirit that you can only know uh, by experience. And there are some things that, that you, can, you can learn from the word of God, but until you have the experience, you don't really understand what it's talking about. You know, you can, you can understand, uh, you can read books on marriage. And you, can, you can read a lot of books on marriage. They're all over the place. But until you are married, am I, are you following me? Until you are married, you really don't know anything about marriage. It's all theory and it's not real. And you don't fully understand what you're reading in the books until you're married. Isn't that right? You know, people are that way about spiritual things. They read things in the Bible and they think they understand it, but the Bible in the New Testament talks about spiritual experiences and then describes things that have to do with or govern uh, or, or, or uh, uh, identify those experiences and they think they understand those things, but until you've experienced it, you really don't understand it. Now, a lot of people will, will bow up at that. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll uh, be offended at, at you saying that. And I've had people do that before. I had a guy showed up one Sunday and, and uh, he came up right as church was over, marched right down here to the front. And he said, uh, just almost wagging his finger like this, you know. He said, I just, wanted, I just want you to know, Pastor, that, that what went on in here this morning was not right. It was out of order. We had been worshiping the Lord in other tongues that morning. He just marched right down here. Listen, if you go to somebody else's church, don't do that. <laughs> Even if you're certain they're wrong, it's, none, it's not your place to correct the pastor it's not your place to correct the pastor here, let alone in some other church. Are you following me? Now, here, if somebody has something to say that, that they misunderstand or they don't understand or they think different, I am always open to somebody coming and giving me you know, uh, their opinion and say, Pastor, can we talk about this? It all has to do with the attitude of the heart. All has to do with the attitude. Do you remember, Melanie, a number of years ago, there was certain something going on among our, our connection groups that you didn't like? You remember that? And you came and talked to me about it. <laughs> you and Dan both didn't. Don't, look, don't point at Dan. You, you're both in on this. 
And there was something that, that we were doing. And Pastor, I mean, uh, and Melanie came to me. And she said, Pastor, she said, I'm really troubled by this. And uh, I said, okay, I appreciate you coming to me. Because she didn't come with a snarly attitude. You know, she wasn't wagging her finger in my face or even by attitude, you know. It's very humble. And so, you know, I, I, I thought about it, prayed about it a little bit. And the Lord said, she's right. So we changed that. Anybody that's not open to correction from God is in trouble. Anybody, I don't care who they are in leadership, that can't take a suggestion from somebody else and be open to possibly being wrong about something, they don't need to be in leadership. But I'm talking about somebody coming and wanting to correct me with their, you know, let me just tell you something, Pastor. Listen, that attitude's not right. That's not, that's not appropriate. But it's especially inappropriate and somebody's not even a member of this church. And so this guy marched down. He said, I just want you to know that what went on in here today was out of order. I said, is that right? He said, yes, sir, that's right. And I said, okay, what? He said, all this speaking with other tongues. Everybody was speaking with other tongues. The Bible says not to do that. That if any man speaks another, there has to be an interpreter and only two or three and you're out of order. I said, well, I said, uh, the problem, sir, is, uh, well, first of all, I asked him, I said, is that right? He said, yeah. And I said, well, uh, let me ask you this. In your church where you go, how do y'all do it? How is tongues, speaking with tongues regulated? In other words, what's the practice in your church? How do you speak with tongues? What, what, what rules are followed? He said, oh, we don't speak in tongues. I said, Right. You don't speak with tongues. You don't have this experience. You don't know what you're talking about. He said, I, I don't have to speak with tongues. I can read the Bible. I said, no, no, no. You can read the Bible, but you don't read it in enlightenment. You don't have any enlightenment on what it's talking about because you don't have the experience. I said, if it's wrong for a group of people to speak in tongues all at one time, then the whole day of Pentecost was out of order. Because the day of Pentecost, it says they were 120, about 120 people, and they were all speaking with other tongues. So if it's, if it's not proper, see, he takes one passage out of, out of his setting, not understanding what it's talking about, and tried to, he tried to be the, the, the you know, the, the uh, uh, grand poopah, you know, that understands everything about speaking with tongues. <laughs> it's probably not the right word, but I don't care. I know people that invent words. I can too. I said, if that's the case, in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius went, when Peter went to Cornelius' house, he had all of his friends and relatives there. It says the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and they began to speak with other tongues. I said, that whole thing was out of order. And yet, the scripture doesn't present it as being out of order. It presents it as a wonderful move of God. But you're saying that's out of order. Well, 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 and I said further in Acts chapter 19, there were 12 disciples. That wasn't a great number, but they, it was all there was, was a church of 12 people. I said, you probably go to, I didn't say that. I thought you probably go to a church of 12 people. <laughs> but they all were filled with the spirit, spoke with tongues and prophesied. According to you, that's out of order. See, people take one scripture and they think they understand everything. You have to understand everything the Bible says. And so, uh, you know, people take these passages out of their setting and try to make them say something they're not saying. Amen. Regarding simply being filled with the Spirit and speaking with other tongues, yes, all who are filled with the Spirit speak with other tongues. According to the Bible. So, well, I was filled and I didn't speak. Listen, if you're happy with your experience, you know, more power to you. I'm just saying in the Bible, when people were filled with the Spirit, they speak with other tongues. If I'm gonna be filled with the Spirit, I'm gonna to wanna to speak with others. I'm gonna to wanna to have the same experience that the Bible had. Amen. Acts chapter two, they all were filled and they all spoke. Acts chapter two, they were filled, they all spoke. Acts chapter 19, they were filled, they all spoke. Besides that, Ephesians six, the apostle Paul said, be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves. Well, was that to just, just the spirit-filled part of the church? Oh, that, that part of the epistle didn't apply to me because I haven't been baptized. You know, some speak with tongues, but I don't, so that's not, a, that's not for me. No, that was for everybody. 
Jude says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I guess that's not for you either. Okay, let's scratch that verse out because you know, I'm not, I don't speak with tongues. No, that instruction was for everybody. Well, praise the Lord. Acts chapter eight, we don't have, the, the, uh, we don't have it clearly shown that they spoke with tongues, but some outward sign happened. And we'll talk about that more in a later time. In Acts chapter nine, we don't see that the apostle Paul, whose name was Saul at the time, when he was filled with the spirit, we don't see him speaking with tongues then, but he said later, I speak with tongues more than all of you. Well, if, if, if the Bible record is to, be, is, is to be taken as representative, he began speaking with the tongues when he got filled with the spirit just like everybody else did. Amen? Praise the Lord. So, you know, let's just be aware of these things because these, we, we have to know the things we believe. And, the, and, and we, need a, we need balanced scriptural approach to what we believe. Amen. There's a lot of stuff going on in the body of Christ these days that, that are a lot of teachings that are just taken out of one concept of things and they're preached to the extreme. We don't need to preach anything to the extreme. Everything needs to be, every topic, every Bible truth needs to be presented in balance with the rest of the scriptures. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.